0: invite you to continue to worship with us now as we open God's Word and read God's Word together. Uh, I'll read aloud and you follow along and feel free to make this, <clears throat> make this a prayer of your heart. Psalm 79, a Psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given their bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food and flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people the sheep of your pasture, we give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And God, I pray that you would totally consume us with the spirit of this psalm this morning. God, continue to draw us to you no matter what the circumstances are around us, no matter how great things seem to be going or how horrible things seem to be going. God, our rock is in you. Our anchor is in you. So take us to Jesus today as we open up to this psalm and apply it to our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently sat on my back deck waiting for a Zoom meeting to begin and I noticed that the, the potted plants on my deck were beginning to shrivel up <laughs> and I realized that they, they hadn't been watered in a while and that one was on me <laughs> because I needed to have watered those plants. Plants are healthiest when they are nurtured regularly. <clears throat> And the same is true about our emotional and our spiritual health, our spiritual life. Nurture through prayer must be a way of life and not just an occasional cry for help. Now I have to confess today, for, for me to preach a message on prayer... It's almost tempting to, for me to fall under the the temptation of uh, presumption, to commit a sin of presumption. I haven't arrived at all there is to know about prayer. I've certainly not arrived at all there is to experience in prayer. But I know that this psalm takes us there today. And I trust and pray that you will just join me in opening up our lives and And saying, God, we want to know you intimately. We want to know you personally. Two years ago, I worked back through the battle plan of prayer by the Kendrick brothers with a mentoring relationship that I had. This book is so practical when it reminds us of the powerful life that we can have. The powerful life that we can have when we tap into the resource that God offers through prayer. In chapters 11 and 12 of that book, he talks about uh, 10 locks that block the power of prayer. And then he talks about the 10 keys that open up those locks and breaks the block to prayer. The block to prayer, the primary block to prayer, he says in chapter 10 of that book, is not knowing God. Our prayers are totally ineffective when our relationship with God is not personal and not intimate. And so the key that unlocks that lock, that block to prayer, is for us to get to know God personally, for us to know Him intimately. And know the power that he has to offer with us through prayer. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Richard Foster. Uh, Richard Foster wrote a book in 1992 that I did not purchase. <laughs> but one day when I was at one of the lowest points in my life, it just showed up in my mailbox. True story. And so I took it out of the mailbox and began to read the book. And it was a world of life for me at that particular time. The subtitle of the book is Come Home, An Invitation to Prayer. And Foster says in that book, and I quote, Prayer ushers us into the holy of holies. Prayer is where we bow before the deepest mysteries of our faith and fear to touch the ark. You know what our lives have been like over the past month? Um, In my opinion, last month was one of the most disastrous months in history. There was an earthquake in Haiti that was devastating. We closed out the month with a hurricane that swept the Gulf Coast and then up through the Northeast that was devastating. We had a war that supposedly was ending when we lost the lives of our men in that war zone, that was really a useless thing, in my opinion. Devastation. In the midst of all of that, we should have been calling out to God in prayer like never before. And I trust and pray some of you were actually doing that. But I fear that most of us fell into the trap, like most of the world, and crying out, where is God in all of this? Rather than turning to Him and rather than drawing from His power, we were talking about it without praying about it. We were asking, where is God, rather than turning to God? And once again, I believe it's time for us to water the plants. Time for us to return to the source of life and energy and strength. See, plants are healthiest when they're nurtured regularly. And this could be the best time in your life and in my life for us to nurture our lives through tapping into the power of God in prayer. Because every problem that we face, every challenge that we face, can be a connection to God like we've never known before. Asaph was a worship leader, and he led God's people to the very heart of Creator God in worship. And his relationship with God, as we will see this morning, was driven by powerful prayer. Psalm 79 God heard this powerful worship leader lift up his prayer to him. And in this psalm, Asaph Asaph takes us through three movements of prayer that I want to challenge you to join me in adopting for our lives today. So let's look at these three movements of prayer that will water our soul and bring life and strength to us in our time of desperation. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, we see a prayer of sadness. Now, this is the inward movement of prayer. Where Asaph told God what he knew God already knew. <laughs> but that's the spirit of prayer, isn't it? When we, we know God knows it anyway. But it's good for us, just like it was good for Asaph, to tell God what he already knows. There were several historical points of reference that we could go to for this Psalm 721 B.C. Uh, Israel was totally annihilated and wiped out by foreign nations. In uh, in 587 B.C., once again, Israel was totally wiped out, totally destroyed under the hand of the enemy. And so either one of these situations speak to what's happening in this Psalm today. It literally was, was referring to a time... When Israel was destroyed. Reduced to just dust. Look at verse 1. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. You, you see, Asaph shared with God that their nation had been destroyed. That the temple was defiled. That the holy city was laid to waste. It was just destroyed. Then he gets a little bit more graphic in verse 2. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heaven, heavens for food. The flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. Now, this was the reality that was almost indescribable. You remember what it was like, 9-11, when the planes flew into the buildings in our country. You know the feeling of lives being lost, wasted. That was the feeling multiplied by hundreds of times by the psalmists here. Dead bodies were feeding the birds. Dead flesh fed the wild animals. Think about that. Let, let that kind of devastation and destruction just kind of settle in over your life. It was disastrous. So in verse 3, he says, they poured out their blood like water around Jerusalem. There was no one to bury them. The sight and smell of these dead bodies left people in such a state that even the survivors could not respectfully bury the dead. It was a horrible situation. Verse 4, we become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. And so again, even those who survived had become objects of reproach and scorn. The enemy was making fun of those who chose to follow God. And that left God's faithful leader sad in his heart. His inward feeling, his inward emotion was sadness. God's people had sinned, and he knew that. God's people had turned their back on him. And because of God's judgment, he was sad in his heart. So the natural place to turn when we're sad is inward. It's helpful for us to acknowledge the sadness of our soul, the sadness of our heart. And this national disaster for Asaph had created that spirit of extreme sadness. It was a place of tears. It was a place of sorrow. It was a place of suffering for Asaph. Rebellion against God in any form is devastating. And when people shake their fist in the face of God and rebel against Him... It's sad. It creates a spirit of sadness. And in our world today, don't you think that might be where we are? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been so cut to the heart over your rebellion that you were just sad about it? Have you ever wept over your personal sin and over the sin of those close to you in your life and the sin of the world? Have you ever mourned so deeply over the consequences of your sin that the grief that you were feeling moved you to cry out to God in sadness? You may be there right now, and I trust that some are, because that's real. That's reality. I mean, I just have to confess, I don't don't want to be an opportunist here, but, I mean, to look at the sports stadiums with 106,000 people in the stands, hundreds of thousands of people in several stadiums around the country, and then look at the people that are turning out to worship God in comparison to that, It breaks my heart. Nobody's more of a sports enthusiast than I am. I love sports. But I want you to know we live in a sad, sad, sad day when we're more interested in talking about sports than we are about the souls of men and women and students. So the case for Asaph was he was sad and he prayed this prayer to God over His sadness. He expressed the inward feeling of his soul. But that wasn't where he stayed. Secondly, he moved outward in his prayer. In verses 5 through 8, he prayed a prayer for restoration. Look at verse 5. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? See, this outward direction in Asaph's prayer was for God to restrain his anger he was calling on God and saying, you know, you've, you've, you've seen the old, you know, uncle kind of thing. You know, help God, we're, we've had all we can take. Don't withhold yourself from us forever, he said. There was a spirit of anticipation here. This was a, a specific prayer of Esau for God to have mercy on his people. There, there is a specific place in prayer where we give the difficulties and the trials that we're facing to God. We ask Him to redeem us. We ask Him to deal with our sin and our rebellion against Him in mercy. We ask Him to set us free. And that's what Asaph was doing with this outward direction of his prayer. Now fortunately, and again this is my opinion, but fortunately... I'm so glad that God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly like we pray them. We have to understand that God is sovereign. He has the big picture in mind. He is all wise. And sometimes we pray prayers that in the long run, when we look back on them one day in eternity, we're going to kind of be glad that God didn't answer them the way we we prayed them. And we're going to see why God answers prayer the way He does in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's look at the reality of Asaph's prayer here. He was praying an imprecatory prayer. In other words, he was praying vengeance down on those who had abused God's people. And oftentimes when we pray vengeance-driven prayers, we're we're, we're kind of being short-sighted. We're kind of looking at our perspective rather than God's perspective. But it's okay to have that kind of spirit. But look specifically at how Asaph expresses this prayer in verses 6 and 10 and, and 12. He demonstrated his humanness. And yet he was real in expressing these feelings to God. Look at verse 6. He says, pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you. And on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name." In verse 10, he says, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. And then in verse 12, Return sevenfold into their lap, into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have, been, they have taunted you, O Lord. So what was Asaph doing? He was praying He was praying for retribution. He was praying for God to return to those who had reaped destruction on Israel to receive what they had reaped or what they had sown, but even seven times over. Now, let's not be too hard on Asaph here. Until you and I have personally witnessed catastrophic slaughter of human life. Let's be very cautious about how we call down God's judgment on people. Jesus gave us a lesson at this regard. Jesus said, and I quote, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that might be the hardest thing in the world for a human being to do. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. But that's the model that Jesus set. One day Jesus was walking with His disciples around Samaria. And the Samaritan people were making fun of Jesus and denying Him. And the disciples looked at Jesus and they said to Him, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these people? And Jesus said, No, you don't get it. These are the people that I came for. These are the people that I love so much that I will die for. But again, that was the feeling of Asaph's heart. He wanted revenge. But at least he put it in God's hands and prayed to God about that. It's okay to express the feeling of our heart. And let the outward expression of our prayer be for the circumstances around us. But we need to be open to what God has to say according to what He wants to do in those situations. Verse 7, He says, For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste the habitation. See, when Asaph prayed this outward prayer, again, he left the results to God. So in verse 8, He said, Do not remember against us. See, He turns the direction Toward admitting the rebellion of his people. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us. For we are brought very low. So at this point the psalmist prayed for God to relent. And restore his people to their former strength. And their former position. He confessed their sins in verse 8. He begged for compassion. He begged for restoration from God. New York City pastor and author Timothy Keller recently said, and I quote, many people in the modern West are not troubled by God's mercy because they do not accept the idea of a God who judges. They want a God of love but a God who does not get angry when evil destroys the creation he loves is ultimately not a loving God at all. If you love someone, you must and will get angry if something threatens to destroy him or her. As some have pointed out, you have to have had a pretty comfortable life without any expression or experience of oppression or injustice yourself to not want God to punish sin. So what is he saying? God is a God of justice and God will punish sin. But also God disciplines those he loves. Now this is hard for North American ears to hear in our culture, in our generation today. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews puts it succinctly in verse 5. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Did you hear that? He goes on to say that the purpose of discipline is to make us holy, it's for our own good. It leads us to repentance. It builds our character. It takes our heart of stone and turns it to a heart of flesh. It turns it into a faithful, obedient heart for our good and for God's glory. He concludes in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields a a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what does God's Word say? He says that discipline is good, and when we fall under God's judgment, when we fall under His discipline, we need to be willing to turn our heart toward Him and cry out to Him for direction to repent and to right our ship. That's exactly what Asaph was doing. So outward prayer reflects our heart. Inward prayer expresses our feelings. But there's a third direction of prayer that this psalm takes us. And that's the upward movement of prayer. A prayer for glorification. In verse 9 he says, Help us, O God, God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Verse 10, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Verse 11, let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. So Asaph was interceding on behalf of God's glory. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What would it be like if every prayer I prayed and every prayer you prayed Every prayer, every believer in God prayed was ultimately for God's glory. Not about us, not about our comfort, not about our our plans, not about ourselves, but for God's glory. That's the direction of this psalm. See, glory is something that you just can't take your eyes off of. Glory catches and captivates your attention. And Asaph called for deliverance and atonement on behalf of God's name, on behalf of God's glory. He begged God to show off by avenging the blood of his people. These enemies were mocking God. But rather than atoning for sin by avenging the blood of his people... God did something even more incredible. God personally atoned for your sin and my sin with his own blood. Rather than vengeance, God provided atonement. He came to this earth. Jesus lived a perfect, holy Spotless life, so that he could do just this, so that he could atone for your sin, atone for the sin of the world. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be annihilated. And God took that punishment, that judgment on himself. He didn't discount it, He didn't disregard it, He took it on himself. He became the sacrifice. He bled and died. And His blood provided the necessary payment for our sin. And that's what draws us to Him in prayer. That's what draws us to give glory to Him. Not anything that we do, but glory to Him and glory to His name. Because He became that sacrifice for us. When you ask God to forgive you of your sin, there's a price for that. But he's paid that price willingly, according to his plan before the foundation of the world. He provided forgiveness rather than retribution for us, for our sin. And he did it in such a way to give glory to himself, to give praise to himself. We see this expressed by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In other words... When you know the mercy of God and the grace of God that's been provided by His own blood through Jesus, the attitude of our heart must be to give glory to Him and praise to Him for what He has done. In verse eleven of Ephesians chapter one, He says, "In Him we have received, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined." according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And then in in verse 13, to the praise and the glory of God. Everything God has done for you and me by providing salvation and mercy for us has been done so we can give glory to Him. Give praise to Him. Glory to His name. This past weekend, we had the privilege, the blessed privilege of our grandson, two-year-old grandson, spending the night with us on Friday night. And we had a great time, a great experience. Saturday morning, 5.30, I was getting ready to stir around and get my day started. And in the dark, quiet of the night, early morning, we heard this, Chia, Chia. Benjamin was calling his grandmother. He was in a strange place. It was dark. He needed to be held. Can you imagine how it makes God feel when we're at that darkest moment in our life? When we feel all alone and maybe in some kind of pain or misery. Can you imagine what it makes Him feel like for us to call out, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. And even more than a willing grandmother to grab her grandson and hold him in her arms and let him go back to sleep in the comfort of her presence. That's the way God wants to treat you and me. He wants us to come to him in our deepest time, in our darkest night, in our most painful season of life, to call out to him, so that in the end, when He restores us, when He refreshes us, when He lifts us up, we can give glory to Him. But then there's a final aspect to the upward glory, the upward direction and movement of prayer. We see that in verse 13, prayer, a prayer of adoration. A prayer of adoration. Look at verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, We give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. See, for for Asaph, the destruction that had gone on around him, the devastation, the the smell of death, and the lingering odor of uh, being wiped out by an enemy nation, whether it had lasted for a day or a year or 70 years, it was awful for him. And yet, even in the midst of that dark season of life, he knew where to turn. He turned his praise toward God. He said, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. This was a prayer of faith. Have you gone there? Have you come to the point in your life where your faith and your trust is in God to the extent that the circumstances do not falter your walk and confidence and faith in God. That's where Asaph was. This was a prayer of faith. More than Asaph could have known. Thanks and praise to God will be the song of all ages. Look at it, he says, we will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. He was being prophetic here because Those who know Christ, those who come to God through Jesus are going to celebrate His name forever and ever and ever and ever. From generation to generation, we will recount His praise. So will you be one of the ones who grabs on to the heart of God through prayer. Who every day finds like water to a wilting plant. Renourishment and strength. And regular life. That flows to you from him. And experience power in life. Through the power of a, a prayer to a God that you know. Personally. Personally. And intimately. According to Richard Foster. The heart of God is an open wound of love. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. So he's inviting you and me to come home today. He's inviting you and me to do whatever it takes to get to know Him intimately. And then pray without ceasing. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus to give glory and praise to Him. His arms and heart are stretched out wide welcoming you and me to Him. It's it's not an accident that this is Labor Day weekend. We... We have a culture in our country where we celebrate the work ethic. We celebrate labor, work, and that's a good thing. Someone once said that the work of the church is prayer, and that's so true today. On the back of your worship guide every week we put the notes from our Wednesday morning prayer meeting that we have in this very room every Wednesday morning at 6.30. We gather here and we pray for the needs of our church. I trust and pray that you have downloaded our app and that you take advantage of the opportunity regularly to turn prayer requests in because they get prayed for. And your life can be part of a system. You don't have to come out here to pray. You can pray wherever you are. You can, as the Scripture says, pray without ceasing. But to know what we are praying for and to join together and bond together corporately in prayer has power that gives life to the church. By way of application this morning, I want to challenge us to live and pray passionately for God's glory. Live and pray passionately for God's glory. That means we will drink from the well of prayer. We won't be shriveled up like a dying plant without water. Because we stay connected to God through the power of prayer. Steve Gaines is pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and this week he tweeted, he said, A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless family is a powerless family. A prayerless preacher is a powerless preacher. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless nation is a powerless nation. I would simply add to that, power for life can be yours today by tapping into the heart of God through a life of prayer. Now I want us to take a few minutes this morning. And I want to ask you to bow your head with me. Where is God? Well, God is answering prayer for His glory I want to give you an opportunity this morning to put into practice what this psalm has led us to this morning. First of all, I want to say, if you're here and if, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never accepted that sacrificial gift that God paid for you, sacrificed His life so you could have salvation, Won't you just invite Him into your life right now? For those who know Him, what's the biggest need right now that you have? That's that's looking inward. What's your biggest need? Would you just confess that before God right now? He already knows it, but... Tell him what your biggest need is right now. Secondly, what, what are you most stressed about right now? Again, that might be being affected by outward circumstances. But what stress do you need to let God replace with trust in Him right now? Thirdly, what what issue in your life would take a miracle from God to change? Would you be willing to get honest and share that? Might be a relationship, might be a, a hurt or a hang-up. Might be an illness. What would take a miracle of God to change? Just share that with Him right now. Fourthly, what what is something you need to surrender to God? Maybe you've been holding back and not giving your all. What do you need to surrender to Him? Pray about that right now. And then finally, we've Looked in, we've looked out, we've looked up. Lastly, what do we need to celebrate? What do we need to give God praise for today? And that's where we move forward. That's where we we leave the old things behind and we move forward with God by staying in touch with Him through prayer as a regular diet for our life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a psalm like this that does give us the opportunity to realize how much we need you. God, How I pray as we, as we continue our spirit and, and attitude of prayer this morning that we would be willing to obey everything you've asked us to do, surrender to you, Trust our lives in your hands, not hold anything back from you. Pray and and even earnestly pray for you to work miracles in our life and in our church and in our nation and in our world. Thank you for this opportunity to continue to prayerfully worship you. In Jesus' name.